My name is Gene Colan, and welcome to my studio. Each time I got a story, it was always uppermost in my mind as to how different can I make this one, and this one, and so on. And as they came in, it was, I just threw myself into it, lived another life in a sense. I tried to get into that story myself. I tried to jump into the page and try to imagine what it would be like to see it visually as an outsider. When you have it developed a style, it's as recognizable as your hand, as your handwriting. Same thing. I wanted the, the story to be sort of uh, mystifying and sinister. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of FW Presents, the catch-all random showcase anthology podcast from the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly back with another spotlight on my favorite comic book artist, Gene Colan. If you heard my previous episode, I described my history with Colan's work and what I love about his style. And I said that in 2020, I am kicking off a new series that is going to showcase his many contributions to comic books in the superhero, horror, and fantasy genres. This episode, I am thrilled to discuss the launch point of Gene Colan's run on the Amazon princess, Wonder Woman which didn't actually happen in an issue of Wonder Woman. It happened in a 14-page insert preview in DC Comics Presents number 41. And to help me cover this story, I lassoed a guest who's got a bit of experience with the character. She is the host of the Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace podcast. Please welcome Angela to the show. Hello, Angela. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I have, I no kidding, I've heard your shows like years ago and I have been waiting for an excuse really just to, to work with you and to talk about Wonder Woman some and I needed the right the right showcase to do it and I finally found exactly what I wanted to do so thank you for coming on the show yeah thank you again this is going to be fun uh, for anybody who uh, might not be familiar with you and your podcast um, big picture how when did you become a Wonder Woman fan and what is it that you like about the character so I am not your traditional Wonder Woman fan by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't grow up with the character. I didn't watch the Linda Carter show as a kid. Back when I was a snot-nosed, Marvel is the best, DC sucks, loser, <laughs> as a teenager, I thought Wonder Woman was just some bimbo in a star-spangled bathing suit. But I actually discovered um, some audio drama podcasts where they did some some fan shows of different characters, and they would have crossovers. So one of the shows they did was Wonder Woman. And I listened to that, and I'm like, oh, hey, this is actually pretty cool. And I wanted to learn more about the character, but there wasn't really uh, any big source of you know information going through her whole history. I mean, at the time, I listened to a ton of podcasts, and if I wanted to find out more about a comic book character, I'd look up a podcast about them. But mm -hmm. there wasn't one for Wonder Woman, so I'm like, well, if I want something done right, I may as well do it myself. <laughs> so I did a bunch of research and figured out how I was going to do the formatting. And yeah, about coming up on four years ago, sat myself down and started recording and uh, I would say haven't stopped since, but I sort of took a year long break when I broke my leg. But other than that, <laughs> haven't stopped since. Once you did start exploring the character, once you did start reading about her history and her different adventures and the comics and, and other media, like what is it about the character that drew you? Like what do you, what do you like about her? What appeals to you sort of today? 
the thing that interests me most is the contrast between her trying to be, uh, you know, peace, love, and understanding while still being ready for a fight, being an Amazon capable of, of you know, punching out the bad guys. Mm-hmm. That's why I chose the name of my show, Warrior for Peace, because it's contrasting that duality. Yeah, that's that's always been one of the things that I've loved about her, too. And for me, I, I have sort of said it about other characters in the past, too, but really... Wonder Woman is one of those primordial heroes that I, I can't remember a time when I didn't know who she was. I think of like, and it must have been just an imprint of seeing, you know, the super friends and superpowers at a very young age or something like mm-hmm. that. And, and the Linda Carter show was before my time. I have heard only recently, actually, my dad told me that the Wonder Woman show was my grandfather's favorite TV show. And I'm trying hmm. to figure, he must have been in his 60s when that show was on the air. So Yeah, nice. Very interesting. But yeah, I remember seeing the Super Friends, so I, I've always known who Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman were since I was a really little kid. I remember having the Wonder Woman action figure, the Superpowers figure. It was one of only a few that I had. I think I had Robin, Hawkman, and Wonder Woman. And I tried <clears throat> reading some of her comics in the 90s. I, I, uh, I Oh, I'm so sorry, the 90s. Yeah. I liked me some Batman, but I was pretty much a Marvel kid for a good chunk of my early comic book collecting. I would, every once in a while, like, I knew the DC heroes, so I would try to step in, like, around Zero Hour or around some other event. Um, I would try and, like, step in and read. And, like, Wonder Woman was one of those where it was like, I know who this is. I want to like her, but I just, I didn't have that inroad for a while. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until like the early mid 2000s when I started getting more hardcore into DC and reading a lot of their stuff, and I found the Greg Rucka run, his first run. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. And I really enjoyed it. Like I finally found like I was like okay, I like his handle on the character. It's different than what I expected, but I just I I found like like she was she was powerful, she was respectable. It wasn't cheesecake art. It wasn't demeaning or anything. It was just like like just very strong and feminine at the same time. Um, and I also just had, like, it, within his run, one of my all-time favorite like, superhero moments um, is when she fights Medusa at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're having their battle, and, like, she has to keep, like, covering her eyes and everything to avoid being turned to stone. And she ha- she actually realizes that her, her vision, her eyesight, is a handicap. And for as mm-hmm. long as she has to worry about not, like, looking at her and everything, she can't give her full might into this fight. So she deliberately blinds herself with the poison from Medusa's snakes to take out her vision and everything in order to actually win the fight. And I just thought, I was like, that is like an epic superhero moment, like that level of like personal sacrifice in order to save the day. I'm like, that's incredible. Like that's like, that's like just a great, like iconic, like that deserves to be like in a movie or some big epic moment like that. I Um, I believe it is in the new, I, I haven't seen it yet, but the new Wonder Woman, is it Bloodlines animated movie? I'm pretty sure that scene's in there. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. yeah um, it's one of her classic moments easily from the last probably 20 years is, yeah. is that scene. Yeah. Um, and then I, I start going back and reading more about her history, and I, I read, like, the whatever Wonder Woman Chronicles that had, like, the first, you know, 10 or 20 issues of her, her Golden Age stuff. And I was surprised mm-hmm. at how much I liked it because – 
I have tried to get into a lot of Golden Age material, and I really struggle with the writing. Yeah, it, it's it's an acquired taste. It, it really is. And I can usually do like one issue, but it's not something that I can ever binge read, which, I mean, I don't think it was intended to be that way. But with the Wonder Woman stories, I could just breeze through a Golden Age trade of that, like nothing else. And I was like, wow, this is surprising. But of all of the things that I sampled, when I got to my favorite run, my favorite era of Wonder Woman, I was pleasantly surprised that it was this this one that we're going to talk about when Gene Colan took over. And first it was written by Roy Thomas, and then he had some surrogate writers come in and, and kind of do either plotting or scripting for him, and then Dan Mishkin took over. But uh, what about you? I mean, you've covered a lot of different eras and, and different points in her her long career. Have you noticed like a favorite right now, like being between the Golden Age or the George Perez or the new modern stuff? Like, what's your favorite? Favorite that I'm reviewing on the show is probably well, depending on the day, it's either the Golden Age, her original run with Marsden, or uh, the George Perez stuff uh, is really awesome. I cover those as well as the New Fifty Two reboot and then the TV show. And New Fifty Two is. Not my favorite, let's put it that way. But yeah, um, I do love Rucka's Run. I need to get through that in a more formal uh, system. I've you know just seen a, an issue here or there. Uh, well, the Hecatea obviously yeah. is the classic that everybody reads. <laughs> um, but once I'm, I'm looking forward to that once I once I get to that point. But that's going to be a while um, for the show, at least. But yeah, um, probably yeah. Just depending on the day. I mean, the there's great things in both Perez and Marston, and it's you know which one do you like more? I mean, it's kind of peanut butter and chocolate at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I mean, those are two classic and, and really good runs. Uh, you reminded me of the Hecatea. One of my points of personal pride as a fan is I made Greg Rucka crack up. He was doing an interview with uh, John Suntress for the Word Balloon podcast. Uh, and it was sort of, they had a sort of question answer like fan submitted question ask me anything type of thing. Uh, and it was when he was coming back to do the rebirth era wonder like the most recent mm-hmm. volume or something when he when he came back to it. Uh, and they're like you can ask me anything about my run if I can answer. And I submitted the question: um, Will you have Wonder Woman stand on Batman's he- face again, like you did on the Hecatea cover, <laughs> whatever? And when he nice. got that question, he he started cracking up and he liked that question. So I was like, all right, good, I made him laugh. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, we are going to take a short promo break right now, but we will be back in a minute to discuss a bold new direction for Wonder Woman. Beautiful as Aphrodite. Wise as Athena. Stronger than Hercules. Swifter than Mercury. Explore the 75-year history of the Amazon Princess with Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, a monthly podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at wonderwomanwarriorforpeace.wordpress.com. DC Comics Presents number 41 has a January 1982 cover date. The actual factual on-sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, was October 8, 1981. The cover art by Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano foretells the team-up between Superman and the Joker, but that is of no interest to us for this episode. We're interested in the insert preview, which does have a sort of cover image complete with the DC bullet, the comics code approved seal, the date, everything. 
It shows Wonder Woman busting through a brick wall as a man with a machine gun opens fire on her. The bullets are easily deflected by Wonder Woman's bracelets. In the background, Colonel Steve Trevor grapples with another armed man dressed in a suit. A blister caption on the right says, America's first superheroine as you've never seen her before, by Roy Thomas, Gene Colan, and Romeo Tengal. And then another caption in the lower left says, A special free gift to you from the new DC. What do you think of this image? Yeah, it's it's a really awesome cover. She's doing the whole Kool-Aid man thing, bursting <laughs> through the wall and blocking bullets at the same time. That's Steve's missing. punching out a goon in the background. That's what's missing is her word balloon saying, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this would be the first time that we saw, uh, on the comic page at least, the new version of her logo. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the title logo incorporates the newly designed Wonder Woman symbol, which I'm sure we will get into. Yes, we will get into in the, this issue. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's got the, the stylized double W, the quadruple U, mm-hmm. or the, but yeah, <laughs> that for the Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> Good. yeah, I mean, it's great. It's an iconic shot. She's busting through the wall, so you get a sense of her, her superhuman power, her strength. She's blocking the bracelets, her signature thing. Um, you see Steve Trevor fighting in the back, showing that he is himself a man of action. It's got kind of everything you need. So, all right, let's get into the story. A Bold New Direction for Wonder Woman is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Romeo Tengal, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Len Wein. Colonel Steve Trevor and Captain Diana Prince, on orders from General Darnell of Military Intelligence, hurry across Washington, D.C. to deliver a sealed case to a location downtown. Suddenly, a car pulls up on the street beside them, and armed spies get out, demanding the case. Instead, Steve tosses the case to Diana and orders her to run while he holds off the spies. He gives a good effort, but the enemy outnumbers him. They knock Steve out and put him in the back of the car, and then take off after the woman with the case. Diana runs down the alley, feeling miserable for abandoning Steve like that. But she was following orders, and after all, she needs a moment of privacy if she's going to save his life. She puts the mysterious case in a garbage can, hoping it will stay secret, and then she withdraws a magical golden lasso, as if from thin air. Twirling the lasso around, Captain Diana Prince is magically transformed into the mighty Wonder Woman. The enemy's car pulls up to the alley, but as the trigger men approach, Wonder Woman bursts through a wall with the force of a small hurricane. The triggers open fire, but Wonder Woman effortlessly blocks the bullets with her bracelets. Then she tosses her lasso around the two men and pulls them together so quickly that they bump heads, knocking each other unconscious. Inside the car, the last two spies decide the best option is to escape with the captive Colonel Trevor. Wonder Woman chases the car into traffic. She leaps from one car onto the roof of the enemy's vehicle, and then forward, landing on the street in front of the spy's car. She turns to greet the speeding getaway car head-on. With her godlike strength, Wonder Woman slows and eventually stops the car. A crowd of spectators, including police, is drawn to the spectacle of Wonder Woman holding the car at bay with just her hands. The two remaining spies panic and ditch the car. A police officer nabs one of them, while Wonder Woman catches the other and hurls him onto the awning of a nearby eatery. She opens the back door and pulls Steve out. He is barely conscious, but he recognizes his beautiful rescuer, referring to her as Angel, as is typical. Wonder Woman asks the spectators to call an ambulance. 
While they wait, a group of women in the crowd approaches her. They represent a non-profit organization called the Wonder Woman Foundation that promotes equality and empowerment for women. Wonder Woman is only half listening to them as she watches the paramedics put Steve Trevor in an ambulance, but her attention is wrenched back when the women present her with a new top for her costume, this one replacing the Golden Eagle design with a stylized double W. Wonder Woman accepts the garment and says she will consider wearing it to promote the group. She then telepathically summons her invisible robot plane, climbs aboard, and takes off, bound for her home of Paradise Island. When she arrives, however, she is horrified to see her mother, the Queen Hippolyta, and her Amazonian sisters clustered near the palace, and all are in chains. She quickly discovers the culprits are the demigod Hercules and the messenger god Hermes. Hercules persuaded Hermes, being also the patron god of thieves, to steal Hippolyta's magic belt of strength. Once done, the Amazons were not powerful enough to resist Hercules, and now that the women have been shackled by the hands of a man, they are helpless. Hermes tells Wonder Woman that the price for his cooperation was that it would draw Diana back to Paradise Island, and with her mother and sisters held prisoner, she would consent to be Hermes' lover. Diana reminds the two gods that she has defeated each of them in the past and challenges them again. If either of them can best her in a physical contest, she will surrender willingly. If she wins, they buzz off. Hercules thinks it's a bad idea, but the arrogant Hermes agrees. He throws the belt of strength far off into the distance, and then he and Wonder Woman race across the beach for it. Using her gods-given super speed, as well as her superior motivation, such as love and self-preservation, Diana is able to outrace Hermes and catch the belt before it lands. Defeated, Hermes disappears back to Mount Olympus to whine about his loss and maybe practice for a rematch. Wonder Woman returns the belt to her mother. Hercules sucker punches her, reminding her that she still has to best him in combat, and he has long harbored a grudge against Diana and her mother for his previous losses. Hercules and Wonder Woman lock hands in a feat of strength, but while Hercules' power is legendary, come on, this is Wonder Woman. She flips him over her shoulder, dropping him to the ground flat on his back. She expects him to cry foul and demand a second chance, but he too vanishes to lick his wounds at Mount Olympus, and as soon as Hercules is gone, the chains that bound the Amazons disappear as well. Hippolyta and the others congratulate Diana on her victories and thank her for saving them. When asked what brought Diana back to Paradise Island in the first place, she tells of the woman's group with their request that Wonder Woman adopt a new halter. Hippolyta gives her daughter her blessing, and Wonder Woman puts on the new top, declaring that the stylized emblem will stand not just for Wonder Woman, but for all women everywhere. As Wonder Woman returns to Man's World to visit Steve Trevor in the hospital, we end on a shocking revelation. The doctor says Steve Trevor is dying. All right. What did you think of this one? I'm going to be honest, I was kind of underwhelmed by this story. It, I mean, it is a short, you know, only 14 mm-hmm. pages, but it's super, super basic, as in, you know, she beats some spies, she goes home, she proves her four basic qualities, beautiful as Aphrodite, wise as Athena, stronger than Hercules, and swifter than Mercury. It's been <laughs> there since the beginning. Yep. And then they're like, yeah, sure, go with this new halter, and then she takes off again. I mean, it's nothing super complicated i guess it doesn't have to be but it just seemed very you know intro to the character i guess 
Which makes sense, I guess, for this situation. I kind of think that was the point for this one, because it wasn't like an issue of her book. It was a preview in a different comic for, you know, probably fans of Superman are reading this and maybe aren't reading Wonder Woman. And I think it was kind of hoping to get all of the things that you need to know. So you're right. It is basically, it demonstrates her various different powers, the things that are special about her. It kind of shows the two real kind of aspects of her life at this point. You've got the mythological element with her on Paradise Island. We meet her mother and she's in conflict with the gods. And then we've got the the American side of her, the man's world side of her, where she is working covertly for military intelligence, and she's dealing with spies. I, I do think it is kind of like a basic primer for the character for somebody who might not be as experienced with it. Uh, and for that reason, I, I think it's I think it's fairly effective. I I, I kind of like the way it presents it very simply uh, as a as a free preview for that. Yeah, that's true. I'm probably coming at it too much from a, a fan of Wonder Woman's point of view rather than an intro to comics point of view. And as, I mean, for the story, I think it clearly shows Thomas's penchant for Golden Age material. Um, I mean, he, uh, once he came to, to DC, he really, he worked on this for a little while and he did some other projects, but almost as soon as he could, he dove into All-Star Squadron and then like uh, Infinity Incorporating. He was really fixated on like the legacy of the Golden Age characters. To me, this feels like it could have been lifted from a golden age plot in terms of like this sort of simplicity and Diana and Steve are attacked by plain clothes spies trying to steal government secrets. And then Diana has to like change to wonder woman in secret to stop them. That feels like it could have been a, Mo- a William Moulton Marston plot from, you know, 1941 or something like that. That's true. Uh, although I'm thinking there's no talking trees. There's no talking <laughs> lion. What are you talking about? This isn't golden age. But no, you're right. That's true. It doesn't, have, it doesn't incorporate all of like the, some of the, the wackier aspects of it. Yeah. yeah. So to me, like this felt like it, it kind of showed the type of stories that Roy Thomas was interested in telling and, and really kind of got into the, and sort of brought those back um, in a fairly kind of like streamlined prototypical yeah, I, type of uh, approach to the character. Yeah. Yeah. I will say um, story wise, Nothing has changed uh, in this setting since the 40s, so this could easily be in between some random issues of of, uh, Sensation Comics back from 43-44. Yeah, this is very much classic, uh, classic Wonder Woman setting. Right. What do you think of Wonder Woman having a secret identity? Oh, that's a good question. Um, It makes sense, I guess, for... Well, it made sense in World War II. She was trying to, you know, infiltrate the military to find out ways to help the war, and there wasn't really any other way to do that, especially not as a costumed hero. Uh, this is more of a Cold War age setting, because this, be, this would be Earth One, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, because it's got the blonde Hippolyta. Yeah, I uh, I don't know, I, I mean, I guess that would still be the case in, in the Cold War, uh, that she, you know, she's trying to help out, defeat the USSR or, or something. I, I assume that's where the spies are from, they never actually say... Right, uh, right. which like again, a, I think it's just sort of like generic foreign spies want something, yeah, kind of yeah. just like, yeah, very sort of old-style story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, her her secret identity, it, it works in this setting. If you do something a bit more modern, I can understand why, like in uh, Perez's run, they dropped the secret identity. They brought it back a little bit in, I want to say the 90s, but after this era, she doesn't really have too much of a secret identity. For me... I prefer her to have a secret identity, but I don't think it's 
as essential as, say, Superman having Clark Kent or Batman having Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can skirt around her being a public person, especially, like, when she becomes essentially, like, a a diplomatic ambassador from Themyscira, Mm -hmm. uh, when she kind of has her own little kind of political diplomatic station and her own little status that way, then you don't need her to have have a disguise and everything like that. She can kind of function that way. And I think often that was handled pretty well and pretty effectively, so I didn't mind that. But... As a you know, a personal bias, a personal fan, I like her to have that secret identity because, for one thing, it gives her a supporting cast in a different way. Um, you know, it it puts her close to the action. I mean, working with you know military intelligence, so she can hear when some crisis is erupting around the world. The same way if she was, you know, an embedded reporter or working out of like a like a newsroom or something like that, she would have that ear to to the action. But this way, she gets it from you know the guys. I do kind of like the irony and and the sort of commentary that she is in what is historically known as a a man's profession, in, being in the military, and frequently kind of looked down upon or treated as a kind of glorified secretary or personal assistant. When in fact, the truth is that she could dominate anybody in this world. Like she is yeah, so far true. capable above him. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, I, I like her to have that that secret identity. It gives her a way of interacting with the world and not being on constantly as as the superhero that she needs to be. Um, yeah, very true. Yeah, I also like Steve Trevor in this version, and, and he's a character that I think, when done well, I think Steve Trevor in any other story he would be the alpha male hero. He's a man of action. He is, uh, you know. Um, by military, like a trained pilot, officer, and everything like that. We see in the story, as soon as they're put in danger, he is quick to act. He throws the first punch. He, he dives into danger in order to protect the mission and to protect Diana. If she wasn't the superhero who was so much more powerful than him, he you would think he would be like the lead, the, the star. He would be the hero and everything like that. And I like that he doesn't seem inferior or... or so small next to her. He's just like, you know what? He, he, he's still a strong guy. And actually, that was one of the things that I thought they did well in the first movie. Um, yeah. Because when they cast Chris Pine opposite of Gal Gadot, and nobody really knew who she was at the time. They didn't know mm-hmm. how, how well she would do in the part. I was like, Chris Pine is a is a very charismatic, good-looking like leading man. I was like, I am really worried that he's going to completely overshadow Wonder Woman in her own movie. I was like, this is dangerous. But I don't think they did. I, I, I think he gave you every reason to like him and root for him and want to follow him on his adventure. But he was still backing her up, and it was still her story, and I thought they did that really well in the movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, when Steve Trevor is written well, he uh, is a good compliment to Wonder Woman. He doesn't overshadow her. He doesn't, you know, cower underneath her. They are equals, which is great. Yeah, and I, that was one of the things that I didn't like about the early part of the Perez run, when they sort of took away that the sense of them having the, the, yeah. the personal and romantic connection. Yeah, Perez was trying to connect it uh, with, with the time that they were being released. Perez was trying to connect it back with World War Two, which right. to do that, he had to get the ages the certain way, and so it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, yeah, that is one of the, I wouldn't want to say failings exactly, of Perez's run, but he had to make a decision, and that's the choice he made. So, yeah. Yeah. okay, 
So once we get to Paradise Island, we do get into the the sort of gender bondage sexuality ideas of of like the women being you know shackled by men and the uh, I mean there's the implied it's not explicit but we do know sort of a history between Hercules and these women. What did you think about this section? That is. Uh, that is straight Marston right there. That is the the shackled by men weakness is something that he introduced way back at the beginning. I, I, I haven't read much from this era, so I, I, I was under the impression that that sort of went away after a while. But this is, you know, what, 40 years later and they're still doing that. I mean, it might have gone away and this might be a retcon within it. Yeah. Like, Thomas might just be bringing it back because that was the history that he read and that was what he liked. True. He also has her say that she could command the spies to surrender, but she chooses to knock them out instead. And I know the lasso stopped being a lasso of do whatever I tell you and started being a lasso only of truth, I think, shortly after Marston died. So, yeah, it, it's very possible he's just bringing those elements back in. It's it's a corny weakness. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it. It's corny. It really doesn't work in a modern day you can say that, you know, he's trying to be all metaphorical, and yeah, I get that, but it it's just, it's not an element that I regret not being around anymore, <laughs> that way. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think if you're going to do it, you really have to own it and talk about possession and and ideas of ownership and slavery and, and with the, the different genders and everything like that, and that's... How much do you want to bring that into just what what is a superhero comic? I'm not saying that it can't be political, because it certainly can, and perhaps it should. But do you want that to be the focus? Because I think if you're going to bring that element in, you need to actually respect the topic and the sensitivity of it and make it a serious thing. Yeah, um, not every writer can do that. So right. if it's a choice between a few people doing it well and everybody else messing it up or just being not touched at all, I mean, it's kind of a toss-up. Yeah. And every time you do bring Hercules into a Wonder Woman story, you have to sort of remember the history of between him and Hippolyta, which is not great. Um, <laughs> so I like it. that she kicks his ass. I mean, yeah. if, if that's the trade-off, we're going to bring hist- Hercules in, and yeah, he raped your mom, and so, yeah, she can kick his ass. And I, I wish she would have actually beat him even more so, but... Yeah, this is they they do have that comics code authority label there on the front, <laughs> so can't get it, can't can't do too much there. Right. Other than that, though, I mean, you're right. This is basically just this is like it's not quite a zero issue because once their their run does start in the next issue, it was 288 of Wonder Woman. It picks up right right off of this, but I do think this was kind of meant to be a a kind of quick and easy story to guide you in to give you all the basics of this character for possible new readers. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the art. Uh, I mean, this is something that I've talked about before, and one of the reasons that I like about Gene Colan, he doesn't draw movie poster images. You know, his characters aren't static. They're not standing around and striking a pose like Jim Lee, like when he draws mm-hmm. or something. It's one of those things, like every time he's doing an action scene, it looks like the characters were moving, and then they stopped and looked at the camera for like a photo <laughs> op or something like that. Yeah. But uh, one thing about his, like, you know, he always had the characters, they felt fluid, they seemed to be in motion. Like, I mean, if you've, I have tried to find, like, good desktop wallpaper, you know, just to put on my computer for, like, a mm-hmm. Gene Colan, like, action scene or, or life scene. It's hard to find them because he doesn't compose his images the way that you would think for something like that. It's not posters or something like that. It's it's to tell the story. Yeah. Um, 
I never know what to say about artwork. <laughs> I, I know. I don't I don't have the best I'm I'm not an artist, so I don't even know all like the, the language or the, the vocabulary for it. I, I basically just approach it from a more holistic this is how it makes me feel. So Yeah. It's better than the stick figures I can draw, therefore it's great. I mean that's as much <laughs> yeah. as I can usually I usually think. Um and, and Colin Often, I mean, one of the things that he was synonymous with was really heavy shadows and inks. I mean, it was one of the reasons why he did a lot of like horror stuff with Tomb of Dracula and and some of the things that he did for black and white magazines. It was really, really dark and moody and atmospheric, um, and like urban stories like for Daredevil. He's one of those guys where you wouldn't think of him being a good fit for a character like Wonder Woman or Iron Man or the Avengers. But I think it's kind of really interesting because there's a sort of naturalism to his action sequences. And I look at page five and the way he choreographs the action scene with her chasing the car and leaping from one car to the next one and landing and pivoting and throwing her hands up against it. There is no confusion about what is happening in this scene. It is like really clearly and very cinematically laid out. I love it. Yeah, definitely. I love here on page six where she's throwing the goon and her foot is off the panel. Yes. <laughs> uh, poking through the, the speech bubbles in the panel below it. That's always neat. Yeah, that was, that was I wonder if, I, I kind of wish like the, the colorist had maybe done something different with that to show a little bit more uh, of like the guy on the awning or something like that because it's a little bit hard to notice. But Yeah, yeah sure. You uh, you pointed out the new Wonder Woman logo, and we see it with the shirt. What do you think of the redesigned halter that she gets in this? Ah, see, this was all the historical research I did last night. <laughs> so, Jeanette Kahn, um, who was the president of DC at the time, she had uh, introduced the new DC Bullet logo, uh, actually designed by the guy who created the I Heart New York logo. Mm. And so she wanted a more marketable, trademarkable logo for Wonder Woman. Uh, and they decided that the eagle was not copyrightable enough, I guess, or it wasn't is too generic or something. So she had this guy, Milton Glasser, uh, come up with this new logo that sort of paid homage to the eagle, but was still definitely, uh, you know, its own thing. And so this issue or this story was their way of introducing it continuity wise into the story. I, I, there was one rumor I read that originally it was going to be like, oh, Wonder Woman, you've won some contest or, you know, the gods have declared you super duper champion. So now you get this new halter. But the way they introduce it here with the Wonder Woman Foundation is particularly clever because two days before this issue hit newsstands, there was a press conference announcing the Wonder Woman Foundation in celebration of her 40th anniversary. Nice. Yeah, yeah. They had a board of 24, uh, 24 member board of directors, uh, including all sorts of you know, actresses and singers and um, women in politics and business and all that fun stuff, uh, including, of course, Jeanette Kahn. Mm-hmm. Even the son of William Moulton Marston, Donald Marston, was, was one of the members. And they, uh, they put together this Wonder Woman Foundation and they got a grant and they gave out annual Wonder Woman awards for like three, four years to different women over the age of 40, because it was Wonder Woman's 40th anniversary, for different achievements such as uh, women pursuing truth, women creating new realities, women striving for equality and peace, women taking risks, and women helping women. Hmm. And they did this annually in, I think it was New York, from 82 till 84, I believe. There's a, there's a really good article in 
uh, back issues, issue 75 or 57. Yeah. In back issues, issue 57, that goes into the history of this, that uh, is easily the best um, source of info because everywhere else you, you can find like old newspaper articles, but they don't go into the full history sure. of the thing. Cool. And it, it's really fascinating. Um, yeah, I, did, I know. No, yeah, yeah, the one of the well, the last year the the big the big name that they gave an award to was Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bunch of different people who had uh, worked hard in all sorts of fields for the advancement of women. Very cool. I didn't even know the the historical connection of the real organization and how they tied it into the story. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. What about just from a aesthetic or design standpoint? What do you think of the new logo? Um, I mean, her, her outfit was designed, I mean, people always say, oh, why is she dressed in an American flag? She's an ancient Greek character. Yeah, but her, if you read her first issue, it says specifically she's purposefully designed as uh, to look like an American flag, to look like American symbols. That that was the point of her outfit. I mean, this is World War II we're talking about. They needed big, bold statements of who was on which side. Right. So I don't have a problem with the eagle. I feel like the just visually um the the WW symbol kind of changes I mean it's it's hard to to map it onto the the bodice shape mm-hmm. so it 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 changes a lot every it, almost in every panel mm-hmm. it's different I know later on they would try to uh, morph it a little bit more so that it's still the WW but then there's more elements of the eagle yeah and I kind of like that version a little bit better but I do recognize this works as, you know, as a just straight up icon for the character, just like, you know, the Superman S or the Batman with the yellow oval. Yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely sort of more marketable. I mean, it's it's a signature thing. You look at that, you know exactly what that is. I like the Eagle, the classic design, but I will concede that depending on who is drawing her, it could look good or bad. Some artists I've seen have drawn it so that like the sort of like wings or whatever, they just look like breastplates or something like that. And you hardly, it's, it's, it's like so large if it's obscuring, you hardly get any sense of the red of her shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think the, the W look on her chest should be easier to draw consistently. Well, like every time uh, it just kind of depends on, on the strength of the artist, but I think I prefer the classic one from the with the eagle, but I also like just as as a logo as a symbol that you can always kind of see and recognize. I mean, I've got a coffee mug with the with the W symbol on it, right? Um, so it, it's it's so, easy. So to do see. I. Several. <laughs> yeah. You'd think I was a fan or something. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Uh, for the art, just kind of a, a last thing to touch upon that. Favorite page, like if you could have one piece of original art, one page of original art from this story, what page would you want? Uh, it's kind of a toss-up. There's, I, I'd almost go for well individual panel, but I um, there's the page fourteen, of course, where she first dons the new symbol um, is a good one, and then there's also page seven where the members of the Wonder Woman Foundation present her with it. Uh, probably either one of those would be would be a good one. Yeah, nice, very cool. Yeah, didn't even, I I went. I mean, I went for the the action ones. I really like pages mm-hmm. three and four. 
Um, I, I love the, the top three panels on page three where we see her with the lasso spinning it around her and we see the, the military uniform slowly like disappearing as yeah. she stands like kind of like that's her like sort of into the into the uh, phone booth and coming out as Superman look that's a, right. her sort of like signature icon thing you can almost kind of hear the music playing as she does it yeah um, I, I haven't looked into the history of that but I Educated guess, I would say that that's their attempt to bring the Linda Carter spin transition into comic book form. That's kind of what I got. That's the impression I got. It's a little bit of a variation of that. Instead of doing the spinning around, it's actually spinning right. with the lasso to create like a sort of magical transition. I like mm-hmm. um, but also with uh, page four, um, because you see her rushing towards them, like there's, there's action, there's gunfire. But that the bottom left panel with her with the bracelets up blocking them and then using mm-hmm. the lasso on them so effectively. I think both of those that is pages pretty sweet. are iconic, like action packed, but also just like showing kind of like the, the basics of the character and what you what you expect to get from it. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I really like the story. As I said, I really like this whole run. I I have considered every now and then of just doing an index of this, uh, like this series, like up until like issue like three hundred or three hundred and five. I think is when Colin left. Yeah, that'd be um, cool. Yeah, I, I like the stories and everything like that. So, especially uh, if you've got history with them, because like here I am, I'm just some loser who's just reading these for the first time. Somebody who actually has history with the character and who's you know read these before and is coming back to them, that would be really cool insight to hear. I, I am always kind of very interested, especially with a character like this, about hearing a woman's perspective, whether it is an old fan or a new fan or something like that, like the different types of people that she speaks to. And that that was sort of one of my hangups with the first Wonder Woman movie. And I remember, actually, I, I listened to your review of that and I wrote into you because I did not love the the first movie as much as a lot of people I know did. And I I recognize that I wasn't maybe necessarily the the same audience. And what I did love was that every woman who I knew who saw the movie enjoyed it and Mm -hmm. liked it. And and a lot of them had like tons of praise to say that. And I was like, that that is terrific. I don't want to take anything away from that. But there were just things about it, like little things. I, I thought it was a good movie but not a great movie but there were just things about the way they presented the character that bothered me i felt like the way they set it up is her mission she was going to man's world to kill one person that she thinks will end the war and i'm like the name for that is assassin i was like they they made her into an assassin she's not bringing peace she's just and i felt like the the story like when she actually plunges her sword into that i was like they're, they're bearing that out um, and then everything like with the the color palette and everything like that, just the, the desaturation. Um, all of that is to segue to the, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was just our expectations for the new one. Because based on my kind of meh feelings about the first one, I wasn't really looking forward to the sequel until I saw the trailer. I love the trailer. Like that trailer is sweet. I don't know what the movie will be. I don't know if the movie will be any good, but I could watch that trailer, and I have watched that trailer on repeat a ton of times. From the music with the the synth like epic version of Blue, <laughs> uh, Blue Monday by New Order to the color palette, actually the reds and the blues they pop. She doesn't have a sword. She doesn't have a shield. She's just using the lasso, the bracelet. She's using her freaking tiara as a boomerang i love it just like it the action is great like whoever just cut that trailer just did a masterful job and again i'm like i i i was expecting that i wouldn't see the movie in theater i would just kind of like wait for it to come out or something like that like i just i've mm-hmm. been burned by so many of the dc movies um yeah well. but now i'm like 
gosh, I, I'm I'm more excited to see Wonder Woman than Black Widow or The Eternals, and I've been whole hog on the Marvel Cinematic Universe up to this point. But so I'm I'm really curious to see what they do because I love the trailer. What do you think? Yeah, I'm uh, the the trailer was was good. Was really good. Um, there's some stuff that I'm nervous about just because they're bringing in Maxwell Lord and Maxwell Lord and Wonder Woman story usually only means one thing. If you've read the comics, you know how that story ends. Yeah, and we had that already with Man of Steel and I don't want that to happen to Wonder Woman, but yeah. hopefully the they'll 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 go a different route or subvert our expectations or do do something different. Do, I was, do, do I was a Captain America yeah. Hail Hydra in Endgame thing where we know what it's supposed to be, but they do it the other way and it's brilliant. I've kind of been secretly hoping, and I don't believe they'll do this. I think they'll just, he'll be Maxwell Lord, and that's everything. But I was kind of secretly hoping that it's actually Dr. Psycho, and that's all just an illusion of what he, like, the image that he's oh, presenting to the world. Oh, dude, but he's that really, would be amazing. They'll have, like, they'll have, like, Peter Dinklage, like, with, like, an ugly, like, yes. mask or something like that. Everybody Wayne. wants Peter Dinklage to be Dr. Psycho. It, 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 everybody oh, knows yeah. this is how it has to be. Yeah. Although, Peter Dinklage is better looking than Dr. Psycho should be. Well, they can have had prosthetics. He'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if they did that head flip, I would love that. I would love it. Um, I, I don't yeah. know what they're doing with bringing Steve back, but I'll, it'll be interesting. I'm if you've got Doctor Psycho, there you go. He's just an illusion, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I'm curious how they approach Cheetah because that's one of the big things I yeah. respect. I mean, of of the various characters who have played Cheetah. I like the original one. I like the classic one who actually just dresses up as a cheetah rather than the wear cheetah character. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that would be interesting because in all of these superhero movies, I don't think we have gotten a character like that, the sort of feral werewolf, werecat cheetah character. So if they do that in the movie, it might it might actually look really cool and might could, could be a scene stealer. Um, yeah. But that, that actress is certainly not one that I would peg for that type of role. Yeah, but nobody thought that Heath Ledger was going to do good as the Joker, so I'm putting my my trust in Patty Jenkins to to get this right. I am I am like two for a hundred in terms of fan casting parts. So yeah, <laughs> I, I don't have the, like the best track record, so she might blow us all away. But yeah, let, let's hope because yeah, not gonna lie, I'm I'm nervous about that too. Um, but yeah, Cheetah should should be a cool villain to see. Maxwell Lord, um, not as excited about. I'd be blown away if he turns out to be Dr. Psycho, but uh, I'm not holding my breath, let's put it that way. No, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know I don't know what the movie will be, but I can speak to just the effectiveness of that trailer got me excited for the movie in a way that I really, really was not expecting possible. So uh, that is cool. Um, Most definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's all I got. Angela, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about Wonder Woman with me a little bit. Uh, I had a whole lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where else can people find you in the podcastosphere if they want to hear your work? So my, um, I'd say main podcast, but only podcast is Wonder Woman Word for Peace uh, at wonderwomanwordforpeace.wordpress.com. I do a history of the 75 plus years of the amazing Amazon going through her Pre-Crisis, Post-Crisis, New 52, and Linda Carter TV show, Incarnations. I am on YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram as Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace. Uh, Twitter and Pinterest is Wonder Woman WFP. Yeah, I, I've, I'm expo- like I said, I'm exploring her history. Uh, had to take a bit of hiatus for health reasons, but I am back. And a, a regular podcast schedule has resumed, which I'm very grateful for. 
So yeah, feel free to check it out. I'm very glad that you were recovering. So, <laughs> or, thank you. Or have recovered again. Thank you for being on the show and helping me talk about one of my favorite characters. Listeners, thank you as always for tuning in as well. If you liked our discussion, please support the show on social media by liking or favoriting our posts on Facebook and Twitter. You can also leave a comment on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can always go to iTunes and leave a nice five-star review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire and Water Network. For more information on how you can support us, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts, and thank you for listening. This time.